Dallas Willard, in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, it's kind of a long quote, but just listen. It says, my central claim is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew how to live. You ever think about that? Oh, he's the teacher. Oh, he's the king. Oh, he's the savior. But did Jesus know how to live? Did Jesus live the good life himself? He goes on to say, we can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his Father. What activities did Jesus practice? He goes on, such things as solitude and silence, prayer, simplicity, and sacrificial living. Intense study and meditation upon God's word and God's ways and service to others. Some of these will certainly be even more necessary to us than they were to him because of our greater or different need. So if we wish to follow Jesus Christ and to walk in the easy yoke with him, we will have to accept his overall way of life as our way of life totally. Then, and only then, we may reasonably expect to know by experience how easy the yoke and how light the burden. One of the rhythms that comes up again and again in the book of Mark is Jesus' discipline of solitude, silence, and prayer. Now, before I go any further... I just want to raise a common objection to this practice. What many people immediately say from the evangelical tribe is, um, I think that this is a spiritual practice that has been borrowed from Buddhism or New Age and has crept into the church as it's been more corrupt over time. Actually, this is a practice that goes back to the time of Moses. This is deep roots of Christianity. This is deep roots of the Jewish faith. Listen to Psalm 62.1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Or here's another one that we all know probably pretty well. Be still and know that I am God. Another one from Jeremiah. It is good that one should wait silently for the salvation of the Lord. Scripture seems to point again and again to the fact that there is something in the stillness and the silence that words cannot teach us. That we cannot learn in the regular hustle of life. There's a cultivated knowledge of the presence and protection of the Lord that can only be found through solitude and through silence. 
And this is a practice that the evangelical church has long forgotten or neglected. I'm not sure which one. And yet, there are many returning to it because though they know the scripture, have read all the Christian classics, are immersed in community, worship, service, and prayer, right? They're just doing all the things that good church people do. They still feel empty. They still feel dry, like something is missing or there must be something more. And I would say, yes, As Dallas Willard said, if we want transformation, the transformation the scriptures speak of, we must follow the teacher by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. So let's look for a minute at the Jesus rhythm, right? We read Mark 135, I'll read it again. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary or desolate place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus says, Let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. As I said, solitude was a practice in Jesus' life. It was a rhythm, a priority he did frequently. And we constantly find him withdrawing from the crowds, from the busyness of ministry, to desolate places or to the wilderness to pray, to commune with the Father. Now, Mark noted earlier in this chapter that after Jesus was baptized, he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness or the solitary place for 40 days. Very interesting. If you do any research on maybe the Desert Fathers or Solitude and Silence, it's fascinating because evangelicals have, as far as I know, always interpreted the temptation as exactly that. It is all about the temptation. It is all about the difficulty. Jesus has been, you know, alone, 40 days, 40 nights without food, and he's weak is the idea. Do you know that the Desert Fathers and the rest of the church, both Catholic and Orthodox, actually see it the exact opposite? Jesus is absolutely, oh, he is filled with power he is filled with authority because he has been communing 40 days and 40 nights uninterrupted with the father and so when the satan comes there is no trick there is no words there is no supposed authority that can uh, outwit jesus No, quite the opposite. He is ready for the fight because he has strengthened himself. He knows who he is and he knows what he's here to do. So Jesus began his ministry of 40 days of solitude to do exactly that, to commune with God alone. But even as his ministry proceeded, see, it wasn't just the starter, right? The kickstart, right? So like, you know, rev it up and then boom, go. All throughout his ministry, we see him withdrawing to solitary places to pray. Oftentimes, he spent the whole night in prayer. And then he served the needs of the disciples and the crowds. This rhythm and practice is highlighted not just by Mark, but by all three of the synoptic gospels. 
In Mark 6, 46, it says, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. That's that episode where Jesus spends the whole night in prayer, and then he comes and he meets the disciples on the waters of Galilee. In Mark, or excuse me, in Luke 5, 16, I love this one. It says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. I think about Luke going around um, Palestine or uh, talking to people who were there in the early days with Jesus and, 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 you know, tell me the story. Tell me about Jesus. And as he's getting information about Jesus, because this is how he said he he wrote his gospel in in the book of Acts, that this would be something that would come up for people. You know what? There was this thing about Jesus. He would often just go missing. It's just all the time. Like, we'd wake up and Jesus would be gone. He would, where is he? And this was like a frustrating thing for us all the time. Jesus is gone missing. We're, everybody's looking for him. I love that. Again, Luke 9, 18. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. And I could quote more and more verses about this. But again, how many of us have stopped to notice in Scripture not just what Jesus said, but what he did? what his rhythms of life were. And as I said in the beginning, I believe we're called to imitate every part of Jesus' life that we can. And it's that idea of apprenticeship, learning and adopting his way of life. Many times we take Jesus as our consultant, right? He's not our master. He's not the rabbi. He's not our teacher. He's our consultant. And we're like, well, Jesus kind of look at your resume, kind of see what I think you did pretty well, and, you know, I'll take a little bit of that, and I'll sprinkle it with a little bit of this. Oh, I really like that multiplying thing. I'm going to try to do that in my life, right? You know, it's just like we take, we borrow a few things from Jesus rather than just submitting the whole of our lives to Jesus. We've seen this over the years in the church with our sexuality, It's like that one area of our lives that Jesus is not allowed to touch. And anyway, it doesn't matter because our souls are just going to leave these dumb old bodies and we'll just go to be in heaven in the skies forever, right? Just like the Bible says. Nobody? No? Nothing? Okay. The Bible doesn't say that. Our bodies matter. Our sexuality matters to God. Remember a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who pastors in Ireland, and he was telling me that there was a girl who was coming to their church, and she said, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Jesus follower. She kept saying this, you know, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And then when they started talking more and more, she, she talked about how she was bisexual, and then just a few other things just about her sexual identity and her sexual practices. And my friend was talking to me, he's like, I don't even know what to do with this. And one, one of the things was her sexual identity, how she identified herself. And I said, if, tell her, talk to her about this. If she is indeed a disciple of Jesus, then point out that Jesus accepted his gender that was given to him by God at birth, and he lived that out faithfully. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, it means the same for us. And it also means celibacy, if God has called us to be single. That means faithfulness and fidelity if God has called us to be married. So in every way, we're going to follow Jesus. We're not just going to pick and choose. And so I would say even going back to just these rhythms that we can so quickly fly over, we are called to be disciples. Follow the master. Follow the teacher. Take the gospels as a template for your lives and where you can, in every area that you can, follow Jesus. Pay close attention to these things. If we are to walk in his steps, 
to become like him, to do what he did, we must pay attention to the rhythms. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about solitude. What happens in solitude? Why was it a rhythm of Jesus? Why should it be a rhythm for our lives? And it's not just that we are to follow Jesus because we are his followers. Yes, absolutely, of course. Jesus was modeling for us, though, the good life. And we have to remember that. He is, as he's celebrated by Paul, the second Adam. He's the perfect man. He is the prototype of the new humanity. So he is what we will be. We will be like him when we see him as he is, John tells us. That's where we're headed. And so we want to model our lives after Jesus, like because we are his disciples, but because Jesus lived the good life. He shows us how life works best. He shows us the blessed life. So then, there are clear benefits and blessings to solitude. What are they? Let's just make a few observations from the text. So, Mike, two weeks ago, he covered these verses about the ministry of Jesus. Do you guys remember? Jesus is so busy. What's going on? Man, he is healing the leopard. Leopards, goodness. <laughs> I was like, in my head, I was like, don't say it, and then it happened. Okay, lepers. He <laughs> so bad. He is giving sight to the blind. He is expelling demons. He is doing so many wonderful things, but he's surrounded by the multitudes. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. He's rising in popularity. Jesus is in high demand. I mean, if we were to translate this to modern times, imagine Jesus doing this kind of ministry in the Bay Area. If Jesus just went down to the tenderloin and just began touching people, and healing them of the various diseases, maybe the sexual diseases that are prevalent in our society, healing people of demonic oppression, healing people of their filthiness. Imagine what would happen. Jesus would blow up on Twitter. Jesus would be all over Facebook. Everyone would be talking about him. Everyone would want an interview with Jesus. He is becoming hugely popular And what happens when we're hugely popular is this temptation to give ourselves to that popularity, to give ourselves to the voice of the people. I was just having a conversation with uh, a very dear friend of mine, and we were talking about Jordan Peterson. You guys remember Jordan Peterson? Yeah, a few guys you do. Jordan Peterson is Canadian. He came out and he was just really going after this hard left interpretation of the times and uh, some of the sexual identity stuff, some of the what was being labeled as hate speech. And anyway, Jordan Peterson was packing out stadiums. He came to San Francisco and it was a sold out show, if you can even call it a show. It's just a lecture, right? Jordan Peterson is sold out. Do you know what's happening to Jordan Peterson right now? He is dying of exhaustion, literally. His body's breaking down, he's dying, and the doctors can't figure it out. And the only thing that they can relate it to is that he gave himself to this popularity so much, he drove his body so hard that he is dying. It's like, wait, can, can that happen? 
Everyone is looking for you. But in the busyness and hustle with demands on him from everyone, Jesus makes time. He makes it a priority to be alone with the Father. You are not as important as Jesus is. You are not as busy as Jesus was. You are not as needed, desperately needed as Jesus was and is. And yet, Jesus took time, made it a priority to be alone with the Father. Peter's shocked by this. The disciples are shocked. They exclaim, Everyone is looking for you. Like, it's like, Jesus, do you know how big we are right now? What are you doing? How could you slip away when everyone is depending on you, when everyone wants you? Jesus, why this priority? And yet Jesus quietly, silently protests all of this by rising early and going to a solitary place to pray, to be alone with the Father. So I would just ask you, what are the constant demands on your life? What are the voices? Everyone is looking for you. This is high priority. You must do this, this, this. What are you doing by sitting down? What are you doing by taking a break What are the things in your life that demand priority? I've been talking often about the cultural demands through technology, and that's a big part of this as well. But I would say all-encompassing, maybe even just your own responsibilities in, in the life that God has chosen for you, what are these voices, those demands, that though it seems like you can't live without, are actually draining you, And you need to say no to in order to say yes to God's invitation to be with him. What is the urgent and how can we say yes to the necessary? And I want to give you permission to say no to the urgent and say yes to the necessary. Now, let me just say this also, in no way do I want to make the mistake of just swinging the pendulum, right? Oh, you're so busy, just unplug from everything. All of us have responsibilities. If you have children, by no means neglect your children after this study, please, right? (laughs) If you have deadlines at work, by, by no means avoid those. Like, But I am certain that there are other things in your life that are demanding priority, demanding that you give them attention that actually aren't that important. Not compared to how important this act of being alone with the Father is for your body, for your soul, for your mind, for your strength, for your identity, for your purpose, for your mission.
I don't want to swing the pendulum, but I do want you, I want me, I want us to prioritize being alone with God. Notice, Jesus says no to people's demands and yes to being with the Father, and this strengthens him, enables him, and gives him clarity on his identity, purpose, and mission. Jesus responds to Peter. Wouldn't it be easy? Oh, everyone's looking for me. Okay, day two, day three, let's do it. Let's do it again. Let's hit, let's hit more of the hospitals. Let's hit more of the leper colonies. Let's hit more, like, let's hit the hot spots. Let's go where the people are. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Jesus comes back from this time alone with the Father with clarity on his identity, clarity on his purpose and mission. Jesus responds like I would after a full pampered vacation. It's like, (sighs) let's go on from here to the other cities. For this reason, I came out to preach the gospel of the good news. Wow. How would you like mental clarity like that. I, I imagine that you're similar to me. There are times where I was just like, just somebody, be it God or the devil, tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, like, just give me some clarity. Not really the devil, it's just a joke. I think they say that in the South. <laughs> but just somebody tell me what to do. Somebody give me some insight, you know, or how refreshing it's been. Someone in your life just speaks over you. I, I had this experience actually about a year ago with my professor, and we were talking about my um, educational journey, kind of where I'm going. And as we're talking about it, I said, yeah, I don't think I'll go for my PhD. You know, I'm not really certain. And, and he's just in that moment, he just spoke like this, like identity and direction over my life. And as he said it, I'm like, yes, that's also what I believe. Oh my gosh, thank you. Gar- Gary, thank you so much for saying that. Just like, this is, this is who you are. This is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I was like, Thank you, God. I've been praying for this for years. You know, just a moment like that of just mental clarity on identity and purpose. Jesus knows who he is and why he is on earth. Do you ever ask yourself that question? I hope that you do. Who am I, God, and why am I here? Who am I? God, who have you created me to be? And what have you created me to do for your kingdom, for your glory, for your name to be known? Jesus has all of that, and you guys, he has it from the voice of the Father. And because he has prioritized time to be with the Father, to cultivate that voice, to listen to the voice, and then to walk in this identity and this purpose. I love it. He doesn't even acknowledge the demands on him. The voices that tell him what to do or that might try to define his purpose, Jesus has total clarity on who he is. And he's on a mission. The mission that the Father has sent him on, the mission that only he can fulfill. And he has just spent time communing with the one who can give that to him. The only one who can give that to him. See, here's the truth. 
you guys. Society can tell you who to be, and you know, we as little children could decide who we were going to be. We could choose that for ourselves. But let me tell you the truth. No, you have been created by God, and you've been created for God. You are not limitless. You cannot be anything that you want to be. That is not true. It's a lie. But God has actually endowed you with an identity. You are a beloved child. And you were created to operate as such, as a beloved child of God. And you have been given gifts, callings, mission, and purpose on your life. And that is to glorify God, and that is so nuanced, we don't have time to go into it this morning. But as you step into and discover that, I believe, through the voice of the Father, you will enter into a new depth and a new fullness of life because you will begin to do what God created you alone to do. And that is so far better than choosing your own destiny. It is so much more secure to know that we have a shepherd who leads us beside still waters, who restores our soul, who leads us in paths of right for his name's sake, and that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. Or you can choose your own adventure and go at it alone with no protection, no path to follow. And you will find in the end meaninglessness, purposelessness. I hope that from this little taster of what the rhythm of solitude is that you will prioritize this. Let's just go back for a second to Jesus' time of 40 days of solitude after his baptism. Remember, he did battle. He did battle with the intoxicating possibilities of achieving his own kingdom choosing his own identity and the power of self. Jesus knows what it's like to live in our modern culture with this intoxicating narrative. He knows, and yet it was through communing with the Father that he had total clarity on who he was and why he was here. He faced down the self Satan offered and instead chose his true identity as the beloved son. Now, Dallas Willard, speaking of Jesus' times of solitude, listen to this. He says, out of such preparation, Jesus was able to lead a public life of service through teaching and healing. He was able to love his closest companions to the end. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else does. Man, how can we live a life for God without being with God? Why are we trying to do all the things that Jesus did rather than being like Jesus in in who he was? in this rhythm of being with the Father, of prioritizing the voice of the Father. Guys, this is what will strengthen us to do what Jesus did, to become like him. This is the only way that we can do this. 
time alone with Jesus, with the Father in solitude and silence, is so recalibrating. It's like the best therapy session you've ever had, or like when you and your spouse have time alone to talk real life stuff, who we are, who we want to be, where we're going, getting on the same page. It really is. This last year, I've shared this pretty candidly with you guys, I feel like the Lord just forced me into the practice of silence and solitude. I had nowhere else to turn. There were no answers. All of my old rhythms or regular rhythms of just being an evangelical Christian were not working. It didn't matter how many books I read, and I read a lot. <laughs> it just didn't, didn't matter how much I worshipped. didn't matter how much I preached, how much I met with individuals, how much I served. It didn't matter. Why? Because oh, I'm made for God. I'm made for his presence, and you are made for God and made for his presence. And if we don't have that, we will run ourselves into the ground. And I, I do believe we will, we will find ourselves just being so disillusioned with what we call Christianity. Sometimes when I'm doing my times of solitude and silence with the Lord, I come with so much on my mind and with a heavy heart, full of anxiety, full of confusion. But let me say this. When I begin with just communing with God, being with him, enjoying his presence, thinking about his love for me, it always puts things in perspective. I walk away with clarity. I can't explain it. I do. I walk away with clarity. I walk away with peace. It's not that I have everything solved, but I have mental and spiritual fortitude to go forward. I challenge you to do the same. Maybe you are in the midst of, of that deep, dark wood right now. You know there's a way out, but you, can't, you don't know how. You don't know where to go. I invite you to the rhythm of silence and solitude. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm just, like, I'm just loving my life right now, everything's going good. I challenge you, because there will be a day when everything is not going good, when everything is not wonderful, that you would practice this now for that day. Talking about the mental clarity, talking about uh, just a solid identity, getting that from time alone with the Father. I love, I've been reading a ton of this woman, Ruth Haley Barton. She's just, oh, she's water to my soul. Love this sister. She says this, so one of the primary functions of solitude is to settle into ourselves in God's presence. This is not easy, and it takes time. But it is the answer to the heart cry that erupts when we have been distracted for too long by surface concerns. I have lost myself, we cry. Solitude is the only way to find ourselves again. And the longer we have been lost to ourselves, caught up with external, external stimulation, the longer it takes to find our way home again. And solitude, that's what it is. It's that formative place because it is giving God's spirit uninterrupted time and space to do a deep work. Any of you guys hike in here? I know some of you do, so lift up your hands or I'm going to call you out later. Cool. Great. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Best results ever I've ever gotten from a question. You know how sometimes when you go hiking, you just settle down into a spot? And the longer you sit there, the quieter you are, the louder the forest gets. And then all of a sudden, 
the animals begin to come out. And they begin to do their thing. What if you're just tromping through the woods? Like, you're not going to find anything. You're not going to see anything. You're not going to experience the fullness of what the forest has for you. I would say silence and solitude, the practice is very similar. You've got to sit long enough to quiet. <laughs> You've got to sit long enough to quiet the buzz just of everything going on around us. You have to sit long enough to quiet your own shadow self, the voice in your head that condemns you or tells you what to do that is against you, what we call the flesh in Christianity. You have to quiet yourself long enough to hear the wild voice of God. Or as Elijah says, remember that passage in Scripture He goes into the cleft of the rock and it's the fire and the wind and the earthquake and all these things. But the Lord was in none of these. The Lord was in the silence. We just don't do this as evangelicals. And I think that this is a hugely missing piece to our spiritual development and our spiritual transformation to give God's spirit uninterrupted time and space to do a deep work. To cultivate closeness and intimacy with God. To allow the Holy Spirit to speak and bring us face to face with our hidden motivations, our compulsions. To remove distractions Our achievements, our lists, our justifications, our excuses, all our masks in order to lay our souls bare before the Lord, to know him as Father who sees us behind all that, the masks that we wear, the things that we try to put up, the justifications, he sees us. And we need to know that he sees us in that way. He sees right to the very core of our being. We need to know him this way as father and we need to be known as beloved children of God and like Jesus then to have or be given rather clarity on who God has uniquely called us to be and what he has called us to do in the work of his kingdom. So in silence and solitude, what are the benefits? I know I've kind of been all over the place. Let me just say three. We cultivate an ear for the voice of the father We get a renewed identity as his child or children. And we get clarity on his purpose and calling on our lives. But we must, again, sit, practice long enough to quiet the buzz, to quiet our own inner voice in order to hear the Father's voice. A few years ago, I had a conversation with a woman who told me She had grown up in a Christian home. She has incredible parents. She had gone to church. She assumed that she was a follower of Jesus. And at one point, a crisis came into her life that was just like no other she had ever faced. And so in that crisis, uh, whether, I don't know how this came about, the idea was I'm going to fall back on my faith. I'm going to reach for that, you know, relationship with God that I have. You know what she found? There was nothing there. There was nothing there. 
try to think. She had no thoughts about God. She had no, didn't, she didn't know God at all. And so then all of these voices about who God is, suggestions about God, I would say lies started coming in, this incredible fear. But again, the point, crisis came into her life. She went to reach out for her faith, thinking it would hold her, but found that there was nothing there. No real personal relationship with God. And she realized she had never cultivated a relationship with the Father. But it only given mental assent to the gospel and the teachings of the Bible. I fear this for some of you. I fear that you are only one crisis away from losing faith because there is no real faith to speak of. Sure, you come to church, you, you read your Bible because that's what good Christians do. You pray, you do all those things, but you do not know the Father. You do not know the gift of the Son and the presence of the Spirit. And so, please hear the Father's invitation to you today. He is seeking you out calling you to be with him. He desires to be alone with you. Think about what an incredible thing that is. The God of all creation, the God of stars and sun and moon, seas and mountains, grass and trees, creeping things, the God of amoebas and sloths, the God of family, the God of love, the God of the cross, the God of the new heaven and the new earth, the king of all kings seeks an audience with you. What is man that you're mindful of him? What's, what are people that you take care of him? Lord, you have made them a little lower than the angels and you have set them over all the works of your hands. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What God is like you, God, who loves each of his creatures individually? We were having a conversation with our boys, I think it was yesterday. Judah said, why did God make sloths? They're meaningless. They're so stupid. They don't do anything. So what if God just made them because he delights to create? He takes joy in all that he has made. What if God's just funny like that? What if God is more childish than we are? Yet this God seeks an audience with you and me. It's an incredible thing to be sought out by somebody, to be wanted, to be desired. to be alone with that person. And yet this is what God invites us into. One more thing and I'll close. Dallas Willard, which basically wrote my sermon for me, talks about our fear of silence as Christians, as humans. 
But in this, he points out something that we should fear, I believe, even more. Silence is frightening, he says, because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us on the stark realities of our life. It reminds us of death, which will cut us off from this world and leave only us and God. Can I just say, we really don't know a whole lot about what happens between now and the New Jerusalem between what happens now and the resurrection of the dead. We only know this, that those who die in the Lord are with the Lord. That's all we know. We're with the Lord. So when Willard says this, we will be cut off from this world and leave only us and God. And listen, and in the quiet, what if there turns out to be very little between us and God? We love Jesus. We, lo- we want to be saved. We-, we have a problem when other people aren't saved or this idea that some people won't be part of the kingdom of God. But I don't think it ever strikes us that there's nothing between them and God. There's nothing between us and God. People that don't choose heaven choose not to be with God. Those who reject God's kingdom reject God. There's nothing there. But then the opposite would also apply. Those who want the kingdom of God also want God. They want the king. They want to be with the king. They know the king. They love the king. They're obsessed with the king. Can you say this about yourself? Do you have this weird, strange obsession with the person of Jesus Christ? Does he fascinate you? Do you marvel at him? Maybe not. I pray by God's spirit that these questions would stir up a longing in you to know the king, to be with the king, to cultivate his voice, to know who you are through his voice and to know what he has uniquely called you to do for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. Oh God of truth, God of grace, God of salvation. Come, Lord, and find us. I pray, Lord, just through my voice, my words this morning, Lord, that your invitation will go out, that every individual in this room would hear the voice of the Father would know how loved and desired they are and that they would be found by you. Lord, we have lost ourselves in the shuffle and busyness of life and the disguises that we wear. Find us, O Lord, and let your spirit move through our minds and our hearts, Lord, through that voice to recreate us in your image to claim us as your own, your own dear dear children.
Lord, our prayer is to change. Lord, not because we despair of self, but because we love you. And because we long to become what you have purchased us by your blood to be. Your children, your people who are passionate about good works, that are passionate about the healing power of the kingdom of God. So Lord, let your mercy move through us. May it draw out our hearts into that secret, quiet place. May we make time prioritized to be alone with you. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would bring us into a richness and depth, Lord, that we have never known before. Bring, Lord, that spiritual transformation that we all long for. And Lord, help us to lead others to that same place. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.